Today we're going to be continuing our series on looking at the life of Moses. And where we had last left off, God had just talked to Moses through the burning bush and called for him to go back to Egypt to free the Israelites from slavery. So you would think that today is kind of where the fun begins, that now Moses is going to go back to Egypt, God is going to do his miraculous works, and then Pharaoh is going to let his people go. But actually, Moses faces a lot of obstacles between the time that God sends him to Egypt, to go back to Egypt, between that time and when God begins even to do the miraculous works through him. Moses faces a lot of trouble, including at one point, before he even gets to Egypt, God almost kills Moses. I know, I don't remember that being in the Prince of Egypt movie, but it does happen. And that's the first thing that I want to look at today of all of the struggles that Moses faces between when God called him to free the people of Israel and when God begins to actually do incredible works through Moses. So this first part of God almost killing Moses is found in Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 24. It says, At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah, his wife, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. So this can be a really odd few verses of scripture to look at if you're not familiar with exactly what is going on. Why did this happen? Why did God almost kill Moses? Why did Zipporah cut off her son's foreskin and touch Moses with it? What is happening here? Well, to understand this, we have to understand that Moses, as an Israelite, is descended from Abraham, and God made a covenant with Abraham and all of his descendants that they would be circumcised. So why wait until now? Why wait until after God has already called Moses to return to Egypt to free the Israelites, and they're at this lodging place on the way before God comes to almost kill him? The reason that God almost kills Moses here is, first of all, because of how great of an offense it was against God for Moses to not circumcise his child. And especially now, as Moses was being sent as God's prophet to Pharaoh himself, this issue of what Moses had not yet done became an even more egregious offense to God. Because essentially what Moses was indirectly saying by not circumcising his child was saying that he did not belong to the Israelite people. He did not belong to God's chosen people. And here God was calling Moses to be his prophet, and Moses was kind of keeping one foot in each pool of water, not fully committing to what God's plans were. And part of that plan at that time included circumcision of oneself and one's family. And so when Moses was on his way to do God's work, 
but had still not fully committed enough to throughout his whole family dedicate them to God. He was showing that he was not fully dedicated to what God was calling him to do. Now you would think that if God showed up to you in a burning bush and gave you this incredible task of going to Egypt and freeing his people who are in slavery, that you'd be committed to that. And yet Moses was showing his cowardice that we talked about last week. That cowardice shows up again here in the fact that he was not committed enough to do what God had asked all Israelites to do as a sign of their commitment to God as God's chosen people. And it took his wife having to circumcise their son right then and there in order for God's hand to be stayed. But the reason why this happened, the reason why it was such a great offense, was because it was a testimony of Moses' lack of commitment to God, despite on his way to do what God had called him to do. And sometimes it is very hard to commit to something fully. Even little things that can be difficult to commit to. When I was a kid, my brothers and his friends liked to skateboard, so I decided that I wanted to skateboard too because I wanted to fit in with my brother and his cool friends and all of that. And I was never good at skateboarding for a few different reasons, but one of the main reasons was because I lacked the courage to fully commit to going down a ramp on a skateboard. Because in order to go down a ramp on a skateboard, there is no half commitment. You either back out, back out, back away, give up, or you fully commit to going down that ramp. You have to go head first, uh, torso forward, all of that, to go down that ramp. Otherwise, the balance of weight is all thrown off, and you'll quickly have that skateboard slide out from underneath you. And that was something that I struggled with, was that, that full commitment of going head first down that ramp. And because of that, I was never able to uh, be very good at skateboarding. And the kind of attitude I had in those moments of not fully committing is that exact same attitude that we see being reflected by Moses here. He was not willing to fully commit to God's plan. What if it didn't work? What if God fell through? Well, then what would be the point of doing something as drastic as circumcising his family? He was going to wait and see how it panned out first. And that revealed a lack of faith in God. And I can't help but wonder how many times we try to do that with God too. And we say, yes, God, I believe in you. I believe in your plans for my life. But just in case, I want to give myself all of these back out, some, uh, backups in case it doesn't pan out not realizing how much of a slap in the face that is to God. To say, God, just in case your plan doesn't work out for me, I'm going to prepare something that'll be my safety net. It's showing that you place more faith in yourself than in God. And if we really want to be followers of Christ, we can't have that mentality. 
we truly have to fully commit to God's plan for us and say, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if it's all going to work out the way that I want it to, but I'm trusting that God knows what is best. And Moses needed to have that level of commitment before he would be prepared for Egypt and all that God was going to do in Egypt. So speaking of which, let's look at what happens when Moses finally does get to Egypt. He goes and he meets with all of the Israelite elders, tells them what God has told him. He meets up with his brother Aaron because Moses had a stuttering problem. And so God brought Aaron, his brother, in to be kind of Moses's mouthpiece so that God would speak to Moses and then Moses would give the words to Aaron and Aaron would speak the words for Moses. So God set all of that up and Moses now goes before the Pharaoh, his first encounter with the Pharaoh of Egypt after coming back to Egypt. And let's read how this goes in Exodus chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. And then hop down to verse 19. It says, The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Now, imagine how Moses must have felt after having gone through this. He had done exactly what God had told him to do. He had said exactly what God had told him to say. And yet, despite all of that, not only did the Pharaoh reject what he was asking for, but also all of the Israelites were going to be driven harder than before. They would have greater suffering because you attempted what God told you to do. And even more than that, all of the Israelite overseers looked at you and are calling for God to judge you because of how you've increased their suffering. Moses did exactly what God asked him to. Moses was obedient to what God commanded, and things got worse. Everything became far 
worse for the people that Moses and God cared about. Could you imagine being in Moses' shoes in that moment? That even though you were scared, so scared that you weren't even fully committed to the plan to begin with, and that you begged for God to choose somebody else, but finally you realized you needed to obey God, and yet when you did, it made everything worse. I can't begin to imagine how devastated Moses must have felt in that moment. And yet, it's important for us to realize that at no point in time did God's plan go wrong. In fact, all of this was still part of God's plan. God's plan was for things to get worse before they got better. And sometimes that's what God needs to do. Sometimes God needs to let things get worse before they can get better. Because a lot of the times we want to just slap a band-aid on the problem, but God wants to get to the root cause and deal with it where it hurts. And oftentimes, when you're in the middle of that situation, you can be doing exactly what God has been telling you to do, and in your eyes, all you are seeing is failure. You're hitting brick wall after brick wall after brick wall, wondering what's going on. That all you're trying to do is be obedient to God, and yet you find yourself failing again and again and again. Sometimes that's all still part of God's plan. And sometimes God needs to have us hit a few brick walls and make everything around us seem far worse before it gets to a point that fits in with what God's ideal plan looks like. Sometimes that's what we have to do in our life. When I was a kid, my family uh, got a lot of black mold in our bathroom. Now, with black mold, especially as bad as it was for us, that's not something that you can just paint over. And it just goes away. Like, oh, yep, that's not pleasant to look at. I'll just paint over it. There we go. Everything's fixed now. That's not how it works. In fact, sometimes you can't even scrub it away. Sometimes the only way to get rid of that mold is to tear out everything that that mold has touched. You gotta tear out that wall, you gotta tear, tear out that uh, floor, and replace it with something brand new. And I remember being a kid and thinking that the mold wasn't really that much of a problem. It was just some black spots back behind the toilet. Big deal. But when the whole bathroom was torn apart and I couldn't use it because there was a giant hole where the bathroom used to be, I thought, well, aren't we supposed to be fixing this problem? It seems like we're making it a whole lot worse. But in reality, that was the only way to fix the problem. Was to tear everything apart and let everything look far worse so that that problem could be addressed directly and it could all be restored and renewed. 
And sometimes that's what God has to do. And again, when you're in the middle of that, that means that the plans that you have been working on are going to fail so that God's plan can succeed. And that, I think, is something so incredibly difficult to accept in our life. But it's something that if we're going to be followers of God, we have to accept that there are some times when God's success requires our failure. Because sometimes the plans that we have don't match up with God's plans, and also at other times, sometimes God's plans is for us to fail again and again and again on the pathway to success. God's plans sometimes requires our failure, and we need to be able to accept that and remain obedient. Could you imagine what would have happened if Moses had given up at that point? Say, God, I tried it. I tried doing what you told me to do. Not only did I fail, I made everything worse. I'm done. I quit. Then the Israelites would still be in slavery to Egypt. Moses needed to accept that that failure was still part of God's plan. And sure enough, God was not done there. So let's continue on and see what it was that God was planning to do next. He talks about this to Moses in Exodus chapter 7. It says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you. And again, this is coming after Moses had just done so. God reiterates this. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment I will bring out my divisions, my people the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So Moses was still dealing with the failure that he had just faced. And here God was telling him that more was on the way. That he still needed to do everything that God commanded him to do. And that Moses still would not let the people go. But in this moment, he also reveals the reason why God is leading him through this path. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, although I multiply my signs and wonders, so that I can lay my hand on Egypt with mighty acts of judgment and bring the people out. And as he brings the people out, all of the Egyptians will know that he is the Lord. So first, God is promising continued failure for Moses for a while through God's own hand of hardening Pharaoh's heart so that he won't back down, that he'll only get more stubborn. Why would God do that to Moses? It was to pave the way for the plagues. 
And as I was starting this series, I talked about how that was one of the questions I had of why did God send the plagues? This is the reason why. In these verses, we see why God sent the plagues. The plagues were used so that all of the Egyptians would know that it was God's work and that God was the one true God. See, God needed Moses to fail. God needed Pharaoh's heart to be hardened so that God could send plague after plague after plague so that all of the Egyptians and the Israelites and every other people in that area who heard the tales would recognize the power of Israel's God. And that it was not like any other stone or gold or wooden idol, wooden God that they had. The Israelites' God was a God of power. And God was using Moses' failures, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, and the plagues to point all the people in that time to who he was as God. That was why God used the plagues. But again, it required Moses to fail over and over and over, and for Pharaoh himself to continually refuse to believe in God, and continually refuse to back down before God's power in order for everyone else to realize exactly how powerful God was. And sometimes that's a situation that we find ourselves in. That maybe the person we're talking to, the person we're debating with, the person we're trying to rationalize with, their heart only becomes harder and harder, and they become more stubborn. And at that point, we're no longer trying to win over that person. We are winning over everyone around us who is listening to our arguments. There is a lot of knowledge that comes from second-hand experience. Again, to use another example of my childhood, there was a time that I was being particularly annoying to my older brother. And he got frustrated enough that he wanted to just kind of shove me away. But his way of doing that was with his foot. So he essentially kicked me. And then my dad found out that he kicked me. And I was so glad to not be my brother in those next few moments. But I got to see secondhand the correction that my brother received from having kicked me from my dad. And I can tell you what, after witnessing that, I never kicked any of my siblings. <laughs> because I did not want to be on the receiving end of that, that correction. 
And that's exactly what God was doing in this moment. He was bringing his mighty acts of judgment against Pharaoh for everyone to see that you can't out-stubborn God. You are not more powerful than God. Nothing you do, make, or say will be more powerful than God. Nothing is above God. And God used the plagues against Pharaoh to show that to all of the Israelites, to all of the Egyptians, and to all the other people who heard the tale of what happened in Egypt. They all learned from Pharaoh's failure. And each and every one of us have also experienced failure. And just like how everyone was able to learn from the failures of Moses and the failures of Pharaoh, people can learn from our failures as well. But unfortunately, they often don't get the chance to because we are so embarrassed and ashamed of our failures that we keep them secret. And we don't want to tell a single soul. And when we do that, we take away people's opportunities to learn from our failures. And God used failures to teach people. And we need to let God use our failures to teach people as well. We have to be willing to share all of the ways that we have failed so that other people can learn from them and not repeat the same mistakes that we have made. There is so much value in learning from failure and it's so much better to learn from failure when it's not your own failure, it's someone else's. Sure makes life a whole lot easier. So in all of these passages, we see that Moses dealt with a lot of failure. It was a really bumpy road between the burning bush and, the, and even just God sending the plagues. But all of it was still part of God's plan. And it's easy for us who call ourselves believers to say that we want God's plan for our life. We believe in God. We trust in God. We want God's plan for our life. And yet not really understand how difficult it can be to commit to God's plan for your life. And if there's anything we can learn from these chapters in Exodus, it's that we will not be able to commit to God's plans if we are embarrassed by or fear failure in our life. If we will try everything we can to run away from ever failing, then we will never be able to fully submit ourselves to God and commit to his plans when they occasionally require that we do fail, so that his good works can eventually come out on top and, and replace the damage that we have been doing in our lives. If we want to commit to God's plans, 
we have to be willing to overcome embarrassment and fear of failure. That's what Moses had to do, and that's what we need to do as well. So, a tough message, but a powerful and and truthful one as well. And that has been another sermon in the pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions for me, you can always contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And as always, I encourage you to share these messages with other people to help get the messages out there for people to learn from. But until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day, and I thank you for taking the time to listen. Thank you.